0: invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 today. We're taking a jump from chapter 2 to chapter 4. After this morning worship service, we're going to do what we do every year. We're going to adopt our annual church budget. And I thought it would be appropriate to, to jump ahead a little bit and look at the church at Philippi and their, their giving. And Paul's model of receiving their gifts as we talk about us as a congregation giving our tithes and offerings to the Lord. So today, Models of Giving and Receiving, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Paul is closing his letter to the church at Philippi, showing his appreciation for them, and we're going to use what he says in here to be some application for us today in the area of giving. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. Verse 15, and you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit. I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I am have an abundance, and I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Great passage of scripture. Some of our favorite verses are in there. You may have them highlighted or underlined in your Bible. Most folks love the the, the verse 13, I'm able to do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Or maybe as you go on down to verse 19, God will supply all our needs. Well, I want to look at those two verses in the context of this passage as Paul wrote them to the church at Philippi. So several uh, points that we're going to look at today, just six. Number one, be grateful to God for the generosity of others. First thing we can learn from Paul as a, as a model of receiving, we need to be grateful to God for the generosity of others. Look at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care about me. Paul is saying, remember we've said that Paul in prison in Rome was given gifts. He was supported. They even sent Epaphroditus to take that gift to him financially. And he, he talks about that. And in this passage, he talks about more of their support. And he's thanking God for their generosity. That's the way to give thanks. That's the way to receive, to be, to be grateful to God. God, thank Paul thanks God for the gifts that they gave him. That's significant. When he does that, he's taking the, the focus off the giver. He's taking the focus off the gift. He's putting the focus on the giver. Does that make sense? When I write thank you notes, I often write, I thank God for you, or I thank God for the gift God gave through you, or I thank, I thank. I always say I want to thank God because that's where the focus needs to be. All good things Come down from the Father in heaven. Be grateful to him. So when someone doesn't say to you, thank you, but they say, I thank God for you, celebrate that, okay? Rejoice that they're thankful to God. I would rather have somebody thank God for me than for them to thank me because that's that's focusing everything back to him. So. Model of giving and receiving. Keep focus on God and God himself and be grateful to him for generosity. As God blesses you. And, and I was just thinking, preparing this message, sitting in my house for the first time in nine months, sitting there working on this sermon, how, how blessed we have been given with the gifts we've been given through people in this congregation and our, our Baptist State Convention and others from all over the country who've given financially to help me and Kelly personally to get back in our house. I can can say just like Paul, I thank God for those gifts. But secondly, and this is where it's going to get, we can probably all say amen, celebrate that, but that's point number two. He also says we should be content in our circumstances. Be content in your circumstances. Not so easy not so easy in all things. So let's, let's break down contentment and say three things about it from this passage. First of all, contentment is unconnected to our circumstances. That's significant. If I am going to be content in my circumstances, I have to understand that, that contentment is not connected. It is unconnected. Look at verse 11 and 12 with me. I don't say this out of need. By the way, Paul says several times in this passage, I'm not telling you thank you so you'll give me more. Y'all have gotten those letters from from an entity, and they say, thank you so much for your gift, and then they heap on the guilt they want some more. That's not what Paul's doing here. Boy, that was great that you helped me yesterday. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, "I'm, I'm not saying this out of need. I'm not thanking God for you out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, and he, he's, he's emphasizing in any and all, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. It is not based on our circumstances. It is disconnected from circumstances. Paul says, I'm content when I have a lot. I'm content when I'm well-fed. I'm content when I don't have a lot. I'm content when I'm hungry. You know what he's trying to say? I can find contentment wherever I am. It's not connected to my circumstances. Joel Stoll, writing about contentment, says this. He has some great things to say, but I just kind of highlight a couple of things. He says, the stuff that usually attracts my attention and triggers my consumer instinct is headed for the dumpster, only to be buried in a garbage mountain. Even the car that I love is headed for the giant metal crusher to be recycled into another nifty car that is destined for the same fate. High-tech toys are soon low-tech relics of the past. I can testify to that. Which, when I think about it, makes me feel a lot like the proverbial donkey chasing the carrot. When I'm content only when I have something, I'm basing it on having something. By the way, you don't have to have things to be content. You can be always wanting, right? That carrot out there in front. Paul says it doesn't matter what I have, a lot or a little, I've learned to be content. So... If I, could, if I could say anything that we all need to learn, if we could learn that my contentment is not dependent on my circumstances. God's been preaching this one to me all week, reminding me, Kevin, you're going to say that to your congregation. You need to live it. If only I could get back in my house. If only that furniture would get delivered when they said it would. If only they had done this. If only this had been given. If only, if only, if only. And we live in that only, if only mindset. Paul says... It's not connected. Hungry, plenty, filled, with, without. Contentment is not connected to my circumstances. Secondly, contentment is learned. This is interesting. Look at verse 11 again. Contentment is learned. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content. Skip down to verse 12. And it ain't all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. I want to be content this way. I want God just to zap me. Okay, Kevin, get on your knees, moment of surrender. You're content now. I do it. There might be a few tears. God, I let it all go, but I give it to you. Paul says, I've learned it having and not having. See, contentment comes by experience. It's not just this aha moment. It is moment by moment. I'm, lear- I, I'm learning to be content, Paul says, when I have received more than I could imagine. And I'm learning. Even when I have all that stuff, I've got to be content with that. I've learned to be content when I don't have. He mentions here at a time when the church at Philippi was not able to send him. He was content in that. It's a learned thing. Contentment comes as you walk with Christ daily. And this is is the key here. This is the number three, the the third point here. Contentment flows out of our relationship with Christ. Contentment flows from our relationship with Christ. Contentment flows from our relationship with Christ. Contentment flows from my relationship with Christ. I cannot be content apart from him. I'm going to always be longing. I'm going to always be wanting. I'm going to always be wishing. I'm going to always be if onlying, if that's a word. My relationship with Christ is where I find contentment. That's where I learn it. How can Paul say I learned it when I have a lot and I have a little? It's because when he has a lot, he realizes the lot isn't where his contentment. His contentment is in Christ. When he has nothing, he doesn't cling to that. When he's sitting in a prison cell, it's based on Christ. How do I know that? Look at verse 13. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, we've taken that verse and and held it up and said that verse says, I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. But there's a word in there that, that this translation really should supply to help us understand it. Other translations provide that word. It should should read this way. I am able to do all these things through Christ who gives me strength. Some translations make it very clear. Some say, I can do all this. Here's what Paul is saying. Don't miss this. I've learned to be content. The only way I've learned to be content is through Christ who gives me strength. Do you see that? I want the strength of Christ to make me a mountain mover to do great things for the kingdom, to be uh, somebody who makes an impact. I believe the context here, Paul is saying, all things are all these things he's mentioned, it's contentment. If you're not happy, if you're not content with where you are, you're in trouble with your relationship with Christ. There's, there's, a, there's a heart issue there. See, my, my relationship, my union, my fellowship with Christ... Is what makes me content with all that I have or don't have. Would you say this? I would be happy if, fill in the blank. I would be content if, fill in the blank, if God would, if that other person would, if my spouse would, if my kids would, if the government would, if my church would, if my pastor would. I would be content. You're leaving Jesus out of the formula. I'd be content to live almost anywhere, but there, you're leaving Jesus out of the formula. Here's what you're saying, and this hurts. And when we say that, I would be content if only, and feel like I'm saying Jesus is not enough. Lord, give me Jesus and only Jesus, and a car that doesn't break down. Lord, give me Jesus and only Jesus. You need to just cross out the only. God, give me these things that will make me happy and Jesus, and I'll be happy. No. Paul says, these things are only possible through Christ who gives us strength. We can be content if only we're content in our relationship with Christ. If you don't know him as your Savior, you're missing the key to contentment for your life. Not just for eternity, but for right now. Number three, be grateful, be content. Number three, acknowledge the connection Between financial support and gospel partnership. Acknowledge the connection between financial support and gospel partnership. Remember we've said gospel is the the good news that Jesus came, died, rose again. It's the, the, the fact that Christ is all sufficient. That because of God's holiness and righteousness he has to judge sin. And he's made possible the gift of eternal life through Christ. That's the gospel. So this partnership that Paul has, this gospel partnership with them is connected financially. Look at verse 14. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. That word sharing is fellowship, partnership. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Acknowledge, Paul is acknowledging that there's a connection between the fact that the church at Philippi said, Paul, we love you, we're going to send you, and we're going to support you. He acknowledges that. That's part of their gospel partnership. They as a church know that part of their commitment and fellowship to Paul is to be a, a partner with him. Listen, folks, as, as members of Coastal Oaks Church, and we've been using the word partnership as we've, we've talked about this, think about the partnership in the gospel. If you're, if you're not a co-laborer, If you're not investing in the kingdom through your local church, you are just a consumer. You're just a customer. Do you see the difference? Paul uses this word fellowship, sharing, partnership, with, together. There's a connection between my financial giving and the gospel. And if I'm not giving faithfully, I'm just showing up And I'm just being a customer, a consumer. Paul says, no, we're called to be co-laborers. It would not have been enough for the church at Philippi to say, Paul, go preach the gospel and we'll pray for you. And that's all. And Paul talks through this passage about how many times he was in need and how many times that local church gave to help him in his mission effort. Don't miss that connection. We are co-laborers with Christ. Are you Or are you one of those consumers who just comes and gets and goes? I think it was Francis Chan that said, or Tony Merida, one of those two guys who write together, said, don't be a ninja. Don't be that person that just slips in Sunday morning and then disappears. Be that person that's actively involved in committing your life financially to the cause of Christ through your local church. Listen, studies have shown that everybody wants more, as if they had to do studies to show that. Recent studies, quantitative studies, have shown that most people want 10% more than what they have. If they're making $30,000 a year, if they could just have a little more than that. If they're making sixty dollars or $200,000, it doesn't matter. They just want 10% more, and they'll be happy. A study was actually done at Loyola Marymount University. And here's what they concluded. When those people do get that 10%, and it typically occurs over a period of a few years, then they want another 10%. That's what their study found. Surprise! I think it's significant that their study says we want more, we want at least 10% more when God says there's a bare minimum to give to me is 10%. <laughs> if you're one of those people that's looking for more, maybe it's because you haven't learned the joy of generosity. I, I, I want us to, to hold that place and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. I just couldn't pass this up. Chapter 8. It's right before this. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. A few more books you'll find. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul's mentioned Philippi. He's mentioned Thessalonica in this passage. I want us to look at 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 8. Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the, Mas- to the churches of Macedonia. The churches of Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Bria, Those, the church of Philippi is one of those churches. Paul says to the church at Corinth, I want you to know about the generosity of a church called Philippi. It's one of those in Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. Did you see that? I testify that on their own according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. At this time, as Paul was writing the church at Corinth, there was a, basically a Gentile church he's writing to. The, the Jewish church in Judea was undergoing a famine, and these Gentile churches heard about it, and they're giving an offering to help another church. That's what he's talking about, the ministry to the saints. Not just verse 5 as we'd hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus just that. Let me just stop there in verse 5, okay? And I want to say a few things about these Macedonian churches, which Philippi is one of those churches. Do you all get that? Here's what he's saying about them. First of all, they gave more than was expected. If I want to be like these churches who found contentment, who understood the the importance of financial partnership, co-laboring, I need to be able to give more than is expected. He says they gave beyond their ability and even more. And it wasn't, it wasn't a, a reckless giving. Apparently they knew that they could give more. It's interesting, it says out of their out of their their deep poverty in verse two, that, that literally can be translated, they were at rock bottom poverty and they gave generously. I love that. Isn't it true that those often with the least are the ones more willing to give? Waldrop said they did not allow their economic situation to keep them from being involved in the Lord's work. Have you ever let that happen? Well, I don't have a lot this week, so I'm not going to give. I don't have a lot this month, so I'm not going to give. That's not an option. I read an Associated Press story. It was written about five years ago. I think this, this is still happening. Pennsylvania shine man gives hospital $200,000 is the title of the article. I read it for thirty years. This guy named Albert Lexi worked as a shoe shine at a little shoe shine booth at this hospital, Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh. Charged five bucks for a shoe shine, and he they talks about how that's really not a big deal, and people don't get their shoe shine like they used to. But he's still there working, and over thirty years, he gave all of his tips and over a third of his income to the hospital. To a fund within the hospital to help families with children who can't afford to pay the medical bills. A shoeshine guy giving $200,000. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's the Macedonian church. That's the church at Philippi. Out of their rock bottom poverty, they gave more than they could and even beyond what we could believe. Secondly, from this passage, I just want to highlight that they gave willingly. So we should give willingly. Verse 4 says, They begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing. They begged to be able to give an offering. They begged for the privilege of sharing in the needs of the saints. That's what you call willing giving in chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians Paul says each man should give what he's decided in his heart not out of compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver they gave willingly don't give because you have to give because you get to we've told our folks that for years as we as we gathered Collected offerings over the years to be able to build this building debt-free and purchase property debt-free and remodel other facilities debt-free. We've always been debt-free. We would come to places where our congregation would say, Pastor, it's been a while since we've had an offering. Can we do another one? That's unheard of. That's the attitude of the church at Philippi. Pastor, we want to give more. They begged, they pleaded. It was willingly giving because God loves a cheerful giver. Heard about the woman who gave her daughter, was trying to teach her giving. We've done this with kids and in Sunday school, she gave her daughter a, a dollar and a quarter and wanted her daughter to learn. Now, she said, honey, I want you to give whichever one of those you want in the offering today. So she said, okay. So mom didn't see what she did, but on the way home, she said, Hun, just curious, what did you give today? She said, well, I was going to give a dollar, but the preacher said God loves a cheerful giver, and I'm a whole lot more cheerful by giving him a quarter than I am by giving him a dollar. <laughs> That's not the cheerful giving we're talking about. Out of their deep down poverty and severe trial, they gave willingly, earnestly, pleading. But here's the key. We have to give ourselves to the Lord first. Verse 5 says, Not just as we'd hoped, instead they gave themselves especially to the Lord and then to us by God's will. We've, we've taught our folks for years. We need to say it again. Do not give to this church. Give to God through this church. Does that make sense? We used to have on our offering envelopes, this is my gift to God through Coastal Oaks Church. I don't know if it's still on there, but it was on there years ago. To remind you that you're not giving to me. You're not giving to this congregation. You're giving to God. This is just a, 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 a tool, a vessel, to try to get those funds to accomplish the Great Commission. Give yourself to the Lord first. No strings attached. Listen, if God has you, he has what's yours. If God has you and he has your heart and, and, you're, and you're in love with him, you're in this deep love relationship with the Savior, then it's going to be natural to want to give to his cause. And here at Coastal Oaks Church, we do that through a, a unified church budget. And we ask our people to, to give to support that. But you've got to give yourself to the Lord first. If you haven't done that, that's his first starting point. Listen, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and you say, there's that preacher talking about money again, forget what I said about money. It's all about your heart. It's all about you being in a relationship with God, knowing that you've been forgiven of your sins. Number four, experience the blessings of being a generous giver. Let's get back to chapter four in Philippians. Experience the blessings of being a generous Christ follower. Verse 17 is interesting. Paul talks about no other church giving like the church at Philippi. We just looked at those churches in Macedonia. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, Then again he says it's not all about me. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. Interesting phrase, isn't it? The New Living Translation says, "I, I don't want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. The English Standard Version says, I, I want you to see the fruit of your kindness. Here's what Paul is saying here. He wants them to be blessed as they give, he wants them to understand there are blessings that come when you give. And I'm not talking about God multiplying financial blessings, I'm talking about the joy of giving with a right heart attitude. Again, the church at, at uh, these Macedonian churches, Paul told the Corinthian church, they, they, they overflowed into wealth of generosity. John Metter says it this way. God does not ask us to give because he needs our money, but because we need to give in order to promote growth. Here's what God wants. He wants you to grow in trusting him. That's what he wants. That's what Paul says. Paul says to the church at Philippi, I don't want you to to keep giving so that you'll just give. I want you to keep giving so you'll experience the joy that comes when when you realize it's all about Christ. So many TV ministries have this all mistwisted misunderstanding of this and talk about the blessings that will come your way if you give. I love what Charles Lowry says. He says that next time that televangelist tells you to send him $100 and God will multiply it to $1,000, next time why don't you write the televangelist and say, why don't, why don't, why don't I just send you $100 or send you, send me $100 and then God will multiply it to 1000 for you. Let's reverse this thing. It's not like that. It doesn't work that way. The blessings come when we give with the right heart attitude. Heike Oberman tells a story about a, a rural church in China. A lady from Los Angeles, a Chinese church in Los Angeles, went to visit China. She went to this church of farmers. The story says there were hundreds of them in this worship setting, poor farmers. And she gave a little testimony about their church in Los Angeles. Uh, expanding and growing and they were building a new building and and then they went and had the service and in the service the pastor called her up and said we're so moved by this lady's story we want to give all of our offering today to your church in Los Angeles it was $140 I think there were 900 farmers uh, families represented $140 that's what you call understanding the blessings that come from giving number five Give sacrificially to God as an act of worship. If I'm going to learn how to give and receive properly, I need to give sacrificially to God as an act of worship. Look at verse 18. But I have received everything in full, and I am in abundance, and I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. And he describes it, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Paul goes back to the Old Testament when they would burn, uh, either burn incense or would burn the, the burnt offering, and that, that the, the smoke that would go up would be a pleasing aroma to the Lord, Paul, or the, the Old Testament shares. And Paul highlights that. Listen, Paul places the highest value on giving by making it an act of worship. That's what God says about it. When I give my regular tithes and offerings to the Lord, when I, when I give that bare minimum 10% of my income back to God, it's really not mine, it's his. Because remember, we said God is owner, man is just a steward. When I give that to him, it's just pleasing. It's pleasing. That's the, one of the things that underscores the importance of weekly giving. It's an act of worship. Whether you drop something in those offering boxes, or you do, or you do like I do, go on your phone and, and give online or whether you send a check in, however you give. It's making an act of worship. You worship God with your money. You don't worship your money. That's, that's how this world has it distorted. Someone said money is a great tool, but it's a terrible master. Paul says, I am to present myself in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, as a living sacrifice, an act of worship before the Lord, a pleasing aroma. When my kids do what pleases me, they delight in that, and I delight in that. It's just a great thing, and they can feel it. They can sense my pleasure. When I, when I give with the right heart attitude, it brings God pleasure. It brings me pleasure. He senses that. I sense it. A pleasing aroma to the Lord. I have a candle in my new study. Kelly bought it for me. I want my study. It's going to be my man cave, all right? It's the darkest pane in the house, it's the best room in the house so far, just saying, all right? But she bought me a candle. It's pine cones and leather. It's great. I light that candle in there, and my room smells like a, I don't know, a cigar shop. I don't know what it smells like in there. It, it just makes me feel comfortable. I love those scents, pine cones and leather. And I go in there, and it just, it's just like I'm home. It's a pleasing aroma, When we give with the right heart attitude, when we lay ourselves before the Lord and say, God, everything I have is yours. We've been singing it, talking about it this morning. It's a pleasing aroma. God says, that's what I want. That's a good place. And then number six, we can't leave this off. All of this is dependent on me trusting completely in God's provision. Verse 19 and 20, I'm trusting completely in God's provision. Now, my God will supply all your needs, not all your greeds, All your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God promises to meet our needs. Listen to this, folks. Think about all the needs that you have. Genuine needs, and we've all experienced genuine needs, especially after the storm. The needs that you have. God, through Christ, has met the greatest need that anyone could ever meet. And that's the need for your sins to be forgiven for your sin debt to be paid. Think about the cross. Think about, if I'm going to trust God, I need to trust him in the sense that at the cross, he he, he deleted the sin debt that I had against him. The Bible says, God demonstrated his love for me, and while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. He canceled the debt of sin. He's done that. If he can meet that need, he can meet any other need in your life. Susie Orman, in one of her books, tells about visiting a a shop in Mexico and there were these birds on perches, parrots, and she was fascinated that it was open air and none of them were flying away. And she quizzed the owner about it and he said, yeah, I've just, I've just taught them that their perch is a safe place. Not to leave their perch, I don't know how I did that, but they, they, they cling to the perch and they, they don't want to fly away. They're hanging on to it. And the owner said, that's, that's how I keep them here. They just know that that perch has to be gripped tightly. She said, well, how do you teach them to fly? She said, they don't want to fly. They're happy right there. Think about how we can be, we grip the things of this world so tightly and we teach ourselves, this is our safe place. It's really not. You know where the safe place is? When you release it. When you say, God, all I have is yours. Everything and nothing less I give you. I pray that we as a congregation will keep on learning the joy of giving with the right heart attitude. God wants you to experience that joy that comes in giving. Let's pray together.